Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Bringing the Pain. In case you have forgotten or didn't know, or if you just uninitiated, my name is Cyrus Wayne, and I am coming to you, like always, right here on Radio Fairfax. Let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you. Woo, we, I got a loaded show today. It's, as, a matter, as a matter of fact, it is so loaded. I don't think I'm actually going to be able to get to the things, all of the things I want to talk about today. There is a lot going on. Uh, you know, football is in a heavy swing. As I mentioned, in the American sports cycle, it begins and ends with football. There's a lot of that going on, as you know, uh, both on and off the field that I want to touch on today. And even though I, I always say I don't really want to talk baseball, but because we are in World Series time, the October, the fall classic, that starts tonight. Again, this is Tuesday. You will hear this on Thursday that this is the fall classic. So I am I am obligated to talk about that. So that's really where I'm going to start just so I really get this out the way. As I said, I don't really know a whole bunch about baseball nowadays. I used to watch it back in the day when when Bonds and Griffey were playing. Now, not so much. Now, I only really care when something big is happening. Let me tell you something. This is big. This isn't just any championship series that they were about to witness. We're watching two of the most downtrodden franchises in the entire major leagues who have an opportunity to break this streak. Man, I, I don't know about you. I'm excited. I'm actually going to watch this. I really don't watch World Series anymore. Even when the Kansas City Royals came out of nowhere and were good. When they were terrible my literally my entire life until a couple of seasons ago. I didn't even care then. But now, I somewhat care. And I'll tell you who I'll be cheering for uh, toward the end of this segment. But I just want to set this up by saying, well, sweet, sweet, sweet revenge for Raldis Chapman. Now, if you remember or don't know or don't remember, I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, he was supposed to be traded from the Reds to the Dodgers be- before the beginning of the season, but he got into a little little situation at home uh, that seems to be happening quite a bit. Where once all all was said and done, even though he wasn't charged with anything, the Dodgers said, "Nah, we're not interested." So the Reds, because they're going to trade him anyway, he ended up being traded to the Yankees, and he eventually ended up his way as the closer for the for the Chicago Cubs. The same Chicago Cubs team that eliminated the aforementioned Dodgers in the last round of the playoffs. So I'm not quite sure if he got any type of satisfaction from that, but for Ronald Chapman, I say good for you, kind of. And I have to throw in kind of because, it, again, there was an issue at the front end of this that we just really can't ignore, especially not anymore. More on that later. So we got the Cubs and the Indians for for all the marbles, for all the glory, the money, uh, however you want to frame this. This is how we have this set up. And we at the end of this series, no matter who wins, we're going to end one of the two longest droughts in Major League history. The Chicago Cubs who haven't won anything since 1908 and the Cleveland Indians who haven't won anything since 1949 or 48 So there was a 40-year difference between the last time the Cubs won and the Indians won. Now, I would want to say that these franchises are similar, but not really. Cleveland over the past several years has become a lot closer than Chicago has come to winning. 
uh, as recently as 1997, where they were one inning away. They were up 2-1 against the Marlins. Uh, the closer, Jose Mesa, came in, uh, completely blew it, and they ended up losing in the 11th inning. Just heartbro- heartbroken, gut-ridden, just the way you would think a Cleveland team would lose. Just, so just imagine if uh, LeBron uh, like didn't like, chase down Iguodala in Game 7 of this year's finals and Golden State was able to win. That kind of gut-riching, if not worse. What, what, what can you do? But the club, but the Cubs, you know, they have this whole storyline for in years upon years, generations and generations, passed down from grandfather to father to son, now down to the son, all this other stuff about this curse of the Billy Goat and all this bad luck, the black cat and uh, Steve Bartman, all this bad, all this bad luck that seems to be following this franchise. When, frankly, when you really look at it, it hasn't really been a case of bad luck. They just haven't really been good for a while. Not be sure. You have cases like you know these one two off years where they end up being good, but it's not like they're in contention about every other year and they're just a victim of some type of bad luck. No, usually they're pretty bad. So let's just stop that. Really, let's just stop this whole curse thing, especially if they win. Now, the one thing I admire about this this Cubs watching from afar, not really watching day to day. Like uh, my, my guy Kevin, who came in, who called in a couple weeks ago, is one thing I admire was the fact that they were able to turn it around. Remember, the Cubs finished dead last of uh, several years ago for several years straight in their division in the NL, in the NL Central. But you know, Theo Epstein just kind of you know, the gen- the young genius that he is. He was able to put it together. He got this young team together. Uh, very young, decently cheap. I think they have what the 14th highest payroll in uh, the in the uh, in Major League Baseball in the middle of the pack, somewhere in there. Uh, somebody fact check me on that at Cy underscore the Great at Twitter. Uh, p- please uh, double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's still the case. But again, the way they're built, they're built to compete for years to come. And if you're a Chicago fan, I will be excited. Now, here's the thing. I'm not excited for this. Now, one of these fan bases is going to be very elated, lifting some type of uh, spirit of being downtrodden, being cursed, having all this kind of bad luck. But that same city is going to be very, very, very annoying when this is all said and done. Don't believe me? Remember uh, when Boston was able to finally break through in 2004 and, and how cute it was when we all knew that the series against the Yankees was the real World Series, and whoever they put, whoever came out the national the National League, which is going to be completely slaughtered by whoever came out the American League. You all remember that, and how cutesy wootsy it was when you had Pedro, Big Poppy, Manny Ramirez, and all those guys, you know, f- finally bringing a championship to that city, like lifting the again. What is it with what is it with baseball people and superstitions believing in curses? Uh, this was like they called the curse the Bambino. When after they traded Babe Ruth, they were really never good. Y- yeah, again, baseball people weird. So, yeah, remember and how annoying the city of Boston has become since then, and just how annoying they are when they win anything afterward. So, Chicago, they're about to they're about to be like that. Cleveland, oh my God, Cleveland's going to be a lot worse than that too. Oh, don't don't believe me on that. 
they Cleveland, for whatever reason, has called itself is starting to call itself the city of champions because, as we all know, LeBron brought back his the title to his home, not really his hometown, but he's claiming it you know, of Cleveland. He's he's from Akron, but again, like I've met people from Ellicott City who say they're from Baltimore. Eh, who knows? But again, they're selling these T-shirts, this merchandise, and they're really feeling the spirit. And again, they're already knowing. So that novelty of Cleveland finally winning something for me has completely started to war on my nerves. And I'm sitting here thinking, hold on there, calm down, relax, because you still have the Browns. So really, the, the Cleveland Indians can sweep the Cubs. LeBron could could, could win that can win that championship in complete fashion. Ohio State can come through and and just really. Uh, re- return, bounce back from their devastating loss this weekend and win a national championship somehow. And really, the fact that you still have the Cleveland Browns in your state really brings you down. All right? So, again, chill, 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 chill. But more importantly, not only are one of these fan bases going to be completely annoying later, but they're going to lose their identity. When you think of anything Cleveland and you think the Chicago Cubs, you think, oh, they're going to lose. No matter how good it looks, no matter how close they are, they're going to lose. And that has made these franchises, even for casual observers like myself, kind of sympathetic, kind of the good guys. You know, the baby face, if you're like to use back to professional wrestling terms, the baby faces, the good guys, the sympathetic characters, the ones that you want to pull for, the underdog. One of them is about to really lose this underdog label. And again, as a fan, I always want my teams to win. But... The teams, like the teams I personally root for, like have a tradition of winning. So, it's different than when you are a fan of a team that has a tradition of not winning. I mean, sure, it's cute at first, but again, that novelty wears off, and you become annoying because you're not really used to it. People start hating you, and you start joining this club for a little while. Just ask any Panthers fan right now how that feels. Especially, you talk about identities, the lovable losers, the Cubs. Now, if they win, they're just going to be another team. Their fan base is just going to be another fan base. You know, I always say, and it is true, that the Cowboys are America's team in football. The Steelers are, at, at this point, are a really close second. Chicago, they have this kind of same appeal, not to the level of the New York Yankees or maybe the Atlanta Braves if their fans come out of hiding in the next couple of years. But you find Chicago folks everywhere because they wrap themselves around this idea of we're the lovable losers. We are the ultimate underdogs. And we believe, we believe. And as soon as they win, it has it has nothing to do more with belief. It's more of a, all right, now what? N- now what? And so I'll ask any Chicago fan out there, yeah, what? If, if you do win, yeah, great. Woo, you win. It'll feel good for a little while. But yeah, at this point, you're just another annoying fan. Get out of my face. Get out. And again, for those reasons are the only reasons I'll be watching. The only reasons I'll be watching. Uh, first game comes on. Is pro- actually, as soon as I leave the studio here tonight, I'm going to go home, eat some dinner, and then just turn on the game. Oh, by, by, by the way. Theo Epstein, I I, mitch, I name dropped him earlier. What a job this guy has done! I mentioned he, he did, did this terrific job of turning around this Cubs franchise. But remember, he was the general manager of the Red Sox when they were able to turn things around for them. So if he goes really, if he goes down, 
and is able to finish, if the Cubs are able to finish this job, like Theo's place in the Baseball Hall of Fame has to be solidified on the spot. It has to be solidified on the spot. Just for doing those two things alone, just for manufacturing the teams that are able to get these cities out of their championship ruts. He has to. Oh, by the way, he became the G- boss of GM in 2004 at the age of 30. Whenever I see things like that, I just really what I just really wonder, what am I doing with my life? Really, what am I doing? I'm doing all right, but you know, I'm not the general manager of the Red Sox or Braves or even the New York Rangers. I'll even take that. That's how I don't even care about hockey. I'll take that. Anyway, coming up next, a little bit of a little bit of football. I talked about Wallace Chapman and his issues. Uh, we're going to talk about another uh, troubled NFL player. Oh yeah, here we, yeah, it's going to happen. Bring the pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. Back after this. Welcome back to Bring the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne once again coming to you from Radio Fairfax. You can find me online on the Twitter and the Instagram at Cy underscore T-H-A great. Anyway, so another interesting development uh, in the world of professional football outside the lines uh, be troubled kicker Josh Brown, uh, now, now formerly of the New York Giants, was released today um, in a move that really at this point should surprise nobody. Uh, he was placed, the Giants had a game in London last week. He was placed on the commissioner's exemplist, which at this point, it, if you're not familiar with it, there's no point to get familiar with it. All it is is a placeholder um, to say, hey, you're not, you're suspended, but not really. We're just going to keep you here until we really figure out what we're going to do with you. That's all the commissioner ex- exempt- exemplist is. Uh, you still get paid, and you still—that's uh, the important thing. You still get paid. Uh, Greg Hardy was on that for quite a while before he was formally suspended. But anyway, that's not important anymore because Josh Brown was let, let go, and a lot of people both familiar and not really familiar with the situation, but kind of casually tracking, they're really wondering what, what took the Giants so long to come to this conclusion. Remember, it was the Giants who said, hey, we got your back. We got your back, right? That's what they said. Long story short, uh, when all the allegations came out, uh, the Giants were, as far as we know, they were aware of what was going on, and they still stuck by him. Uh, saying he was taking the necessary steps, he was cooperating, uh, you know, all that, you know, good language that people like to like, like to throw around. And a lot of us, I know myself, when, like, when faced with the situation and uh, people in kind of this the position, organization, this position, I sometimes to my own na- naivete, I am working under, and it's, and it's also true, working under the assumption that uh, these organizations, these people like, are armed with more information than I am. So they're in better position to make these decisions, to make these calls, right? Like that, That's the assumption we're working under. And really the question I have, one of the many questions I have is, what took everyone, what took everyone so long to get mad? R- really, if this is where we're starting to draw the moral line in the sand as far, like don't get me wrong, domestic violence is bad. All right, let, let don't, don't twist my words here. It is bad and excusable. Any negative adjective that you can describe, that you can put down, 
Like that's what I that's what I believe on this issue. But understand, we as a society sometimes have this like you know selective morality. And we are selectively outraged by different things depending on a lot of different circumstances. J- just look at this presidential race. Moving on. So a lot of what we know now it, or, like, come from journals. Because when a lot of these incidents were first re- were, uh, reported between like him and his wife g- going back for a while, he, w- he kept a journal for, uh, you know, he was seeking treatment. And we found like and like when they found this journal, they found out that uh, he was abused as a child in ways that uh, no one should really be abused. And I'm not first of all, I'm not making excuses, not because I don't really I'm not in a position to like make those type of leaps. But am I saying this is going to make him a more sympathetic character? I don't know. Again, I'm not in that type of position to say so, but. Like this is the like these are the facts that are that are currently being reported, uh, and although while this is a d- decent tidbit information, it's also in this journal where he had, had blatantly admitted that he has physically and abuse like physically and um, verbally abused his like abused his wife. That's where this came, this came out. This is where we found out. And again, one of the many questions is what type of investigations were done by both the National Football League and the New York Giants. And again, the one area where I'm really kind of skittish as far as this particular case is concerned is how this journal was obtained and potential privacy implications, which, yeah, like when you talk in the in the vacuum of like any type of, of, of like domestic violence, abuse, any type of situation where you want to paint the abuser as a creep, as a jerk, as something subhuman, you go, hey, forget a problem about privacy find out find out whatever you need to however you need to but then as much as i hate the slippery slope argument but where do you draw that line at what point do you draw the line and say okay maybe this is going too far but that's a discussion for that's a discussion for another time but here's the one thing we all know at this point in a still very very fluid situation that this was poorly handled by everybody involved and like from the from the National Football League, from the from the New York Giants organization, the ownerships, the ownership, everything. This was so badly handled. And again, like like my job isn't to really go into the specifics of what what may or may not have happened because I, I I don't know. You don't know. All we know again, it's a fluid situation, but. Oh, one, he, Josh Brown did release a statement early today where he said he did not, he never struck his wife, but he also, in that same sentence, he says the abuse takes on many forms. So again, at this point, that's all we really know. And we also know that the NFL was aware of an incident between him and his wife at the Pro Bowl several years ago, but didn't really do anything about it. Again, the NFL is not really good at handling this, these situations. So before I, I hop, before I harp back on the NFL real quick, I just want to mention Josh Brown is 37 years old. He is a kicker, one of the mo, one of the more disposable positions in the game of football. He's ba- his career is basically done. Uh, correction, his career is done. No one is going to want to touch him. It, this isn't a Greg Hardy situation where. 
while yes, what he, what Greg was accused of doing, and there's the pics to prove it. He had a he had a skill which made some people not not contrary to popular belief, not just Jerry Jones, but other teams were looking at him. Some people were interested in him because he had a very unique skill set and talent. And whether you like it or not, this is the way the world works, whether in business and entertainment, sports, you name it. If your talent outshadows your problems, you will have a chance. That's the way the world works. Deal with it. I don't like it, but. I recognize that's the way it works. Josh Brown is a 37-year-old kicker. You can find kickers off the street. So he, he's so he doesn't have that skill, which begs the question of why they kept him around to begin with, but no one's really going to know. So at, at going back to Harper on the NFL, they can't seem to get this right. As, as we all remember the Ray, the Ray Rice situation, how he was originally suspended for two games when they did their, quote, investigation. And then the video came out, which begged the question of how how did they investigate? How deep did they get in? So once the video came out and the NFL started looking bad, they said, OK, then we're going to just suspend you for the entire year. We haven't seen Ray Rice since. Then you have the also aforementioned Greg Hardy, who... At that point, the NFL, like, like just fresh off the Ray Rice situation, really, when you when you look at how the NFL like, imposes punishment, they were definitely trying to overcompensate for like how they mishandled the Ray Rice situation and suspending him. What was it originally like ten games, but then after except like, the series of appeals, he got it down to four. Not not a. It's called collective bargaining, people. That's how it works. And, and now you have Josh Bound where. After, again, they, they knew about the situation. They knew about the situation at in Honolulu at the Pro Bowl, and they knew that something was going on, the divorce proceedings, and all this, all this, all this stuff coming out. And they said, you know what? One game, one game. And and now, and now, like as everything's becoming public again, nothing has really changed. In in in, in reality, nothing has changed. The only thing that has changed is what we know. So it, it is at this point very clear the NFL is taking only a reactionary approach to any of these situations. It's as if they're doing this just simply for PR, not to really like do anything, but just to take a PR stance of we don't want we don't want this. We're trying to get this out of our league, which again, what's taking y'all so long to do that? And why does it take all these things to become public for you to realize that's what you want to do? Because, again, y'all knew something was up. The rest of us really didn't. And the few of us that did didn't really didn't really care loud enough to really speak up. So, again, you can blame the NFL. You can blame the Giants because, again, the Giants aren't completely void of any responsibility here. They knew something was going on too. Even when all this stuff really, really like kicked up, and we all we've we all found out in real time, they publicly stated we're standing behind them, only to cut them a few days later. So, yeah, they're at fault as well. We can talk about who's at fault all, all we want to, and of course, when any anything like this happens, there's the usual chorus of people calling for Roger Goodell's job, resignation, his job, for him to be fired. Uh, let me tell you something right now. That ain't going to happen either. I'm telling you a lot of things that ain't going to happen. Y- yeah, that ain't going to happen either. But let's face it. Roger Goodell does not work for you. He works for the NFL owners. 
Well, let's first of all, let's let's set that straight. He doesn't work for you. He doesn't work for the players. He works for the owners. And really, his job is not to really discipline players. He has made it his job. And the players, again, by the process of collective bargaining because they want they just really wanted more money. They allowed him to take that when really as the commissioner of the league, that should not be his main concern. It shouldn't. His main concern is which is what he's doing is working for the owners, making sure they're making as much money as possible. And really, at this point, uh, like how the NFL has handled not only this situation, Ray Rice, Greg Hardy, and several other player incidences over the past several years since he was able to get this uh, get this uh, power, especially after the Tom Brady debacle, which uh, is is aggravating to really like to like, when you really think about how that went. I really think that this like when the next CBA comes around, like this is one of the things that's really going to change. I don't know how much it's going to cost the players, literally. But it's 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 going to be taken out of his hands because it should not player discipline should not be in the commissioner's hands because it's a no win situation. It is absolutely no win for him. But uh, going back to Josh Brown very quickly, uh, with who who knows who's handling the punishments, who's uh, like who's responsible or any of that. Uh, again, there's a lot of questions going on. But another one question that I'm asking, and a lot of you are asking, is Who's going to be next? Who's the next player that's going to be caught up in any any situation like this? And how is the NFL going to handle it? Are they going to uh, do, do what they can to overstep the bounds to really send a message? Or are they just going to mess around and base and repeat their mistakes? Coming up next, now we're actually going to get inside the lines and recap some NFL action from this weekend. Bring the pain. This is Cyrus Wayne back after this welcome back to bring the pain this is cyrus wayne coming to you from radio fairfax the number is 703-560-8255 once again that's 703-560-8255 but just per usual i am not in the studio so if you call that number you're not going to get me i don't know who's going to answer but it ain't going to be me. If it is me answering, then yeah, don't worry. I'm not going to be answering. So uh, actual gridiron action. So it, it is a well-known fact that at this point because every, because if you're not talking about actual games, this is one of the big stories in football is that the ratings are, are going down. Uh, they're going down. And at, People like writers, talking heads on television, they're all opining of you know why. Why are they going down? A- am I asking why? Mm, no, not really. Do I have theories? Do I have reasons, hy- hypotheses of why they're going down? Absolutely. I believe like sometimes when they're going up with the uh, the like, typically ratings are going down during like ratings go down during election cycles. That, that's because we're all consuming all political stuff. So rate like that. That's just what happens. So, like, that's normal. Also, when you talk about peak ratings, peak ratings, peak ratings, like every time you turn around, uh, there's a new record being broken for watching NFL football. If you simply do the math and just really think about it for a second, there is nowhere else for the ratings to go except down. Uh, you you can't. There there is a such thing as there is a such thing as unsustained growth. And that's what the NFL was experiencing. As a matter of fact, Mark Cuban 
back in 2014 had called this. He said there is no way that the NFL can keep this up. But the NFL didn't really want to listen because, well, they're the NFL. They're not going to listen. Also, as I touched on either last week or a few weeks before, there's just new ways to consume, right? Right. Uh, which caused a, a lot of issues with like teams posting gifts of you know NFL replays, and the NFL said no, we're not going to let you do that. There's new ways to consume. Everyone's on their phones. There's a red zone channel, so we're not not as many people are watching game from kickoff to the final to the final whistle. They're not. But really, what I want to focus on very briefly is the most important thing, the, the real reason I believe the ratings have gone down. The football just has not been good. You would never think anyone would say that, but in my opinion, the football is not really good. And there's not as much, like for me personally, as much as I love football, I just haven't been as captivated about it this season outside of how well my Cowboys are doing. I, I am I am personally... And I know a few people like this, where when your team, when their team's not playing, they're not paying a whole lot of attention. Sure, they may have the red zone on, or they might make it a more social event and watch the game with people, but they're not really as in, they're not as, as really vested. I mean, I spent this week I, I spent this weekend on a football Sunday at a bookstore. That's just how uncompelling some of these things were. Um, thir- Thursday night football. I have not watched a single Thursday night game, and I do not feel bad for it. I look at the box scores, I see some, of, I see some of the highlights, and I go, "Wow, that was ugly football." Because again, NFL is being greedy. NFL is not supposed to be played on Thursdays, except Thanksgiving for whatever reason. Like football on Thanksgiving works, but other than that, it's not supposed to be played on Thursdays, and the quality shows. And the the primetime games have been highly suspect as well. They haven't been really been on par with what they with what they usually are. Again, the overall product has not, just not really been enjoyable. All these like series of short passes. If you watch the Monday Night game, uh, Brock Osweiler is one of the and Trevor Simeon are two of the very many examples of this, where you don't see a lot of excitement when the ball is thrown downfield. It's all these checkdowns and little screen passes and uh, passes to the flat. It doesn't really in these two, three, four yard gains. It's not really exciting. And to get again, the real money is not in your base. It's not in your hardcore viewers, the hardcore fans that will watch it no matter what. It's in your casual viewer. And let me tell you something, that brand of football is not entertaining to the casual viewer. It's just not. And of, of course, like the pen, all these penalties, passing. Anytime I see a defensive play on a pass on a pass play, and I see a pass breakup, like I'm I'm looking for a flag because I'm thinking it's gonna be it's gonna be a pass interference because they seem to call that quite a bit. Uh, that doesn't make that does not make the product enjoyable, and also uh, a lot of the top stars being injured. Ben Roethlisberger out again, which brings on Landry Jones who, again, two, three, he sometimes throws the ball downfield, but you notice the game plan is a lot more conservative when he's in versus when Ben Roethlisberger is in. And the young guys, because of the, well, the, the salary cap structure and just how the, the financing and the pay scales work, a lot of young guys are getting play, a lot of uh, young guys are getting uh, playing time. They're not as good as some of the more expensive veterans. As a result, the quality lessens. 
case in point to all of these things, Sunday night's game between the Seahawks and the Cardinals. One of the ones where you where you circle is that wow, that's gonna be that's gonna be a good game. That's gonna feature you know hardcore defenses. You got offenses that know what they're doing, head coaches that know what they're doing, and we're gonna make things happen. In case you didn't know, that game ended in a six six tie. A six six tie. That that's two that's two field goals a piece. Four field goals. And both it, they had chances to win it late. But couldn't do it. And by the way, this has been a rough two weeks for NC State kickers. I I, I mentioned last week, if you listened to me last week, I like completely uh, obliterated Kyle Bambard for blowing the game against Clemson. Uh, now it has completely gone up to the pro level with Steve Hauschka, the, C, the kicker for the Seahawks. Uh, down in Raleigh at NC State, we have a term for this. It's called NC State stuff. Uh, look, look it up. It, it is an actual term of just weird things that happen associated with NC State players where you go, wait a minute, how did that happen? And that happened to Hauschka when he blew that kick late in overtime, late in overtime, which caused the over, which caused the draw. Go figure. And that's why they say people hate soccer. What can you do? I mean, I, I personally, I like defensive games. I like the slugfest where no one is scoring every time, where they're not scoring every time they touch the ball. But, you know, a, a nice, thought-out, paced game. But I'm more of the 17-14 variety or the even 14-13, somewhere in there where there's at least a couple touchdowns being thrown in there. 6-6, six, six, that was brutal. And I didn't even see all of it. I'm not going to lie, I didn't see all of it. I really, like, from the... Like half of the third quarter on, that's what I caught on, and um, and even then I was reluctant to finish watching the rest of it. One because it's so late and I get up early, and two, it, it just wasn't good. But moving on to like how bad that game was. Speaking of bad, Geno Smith can't seem to catch a break. I, I mean, I talk about a hey, put Geno and put Geno in, put Geno in. Why, why not? What do you have to lose? You have Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing picks left and right, and you have Geno sitting on the bench. So finally, I guess Todd Bowles finally listened to me and put him in, and guess what? He decides to tear an ACL in his first start of the season, which will likely be his last start as in the New York Jets as he becomes free agent at the end of the season, and at this point, they'll be crazy to bring him back. There's, there's no point in bringing him back now. No point. And talk about catching a break. Even took a shot from Joe Namath. When Joe Namath called into question his toughness by saying, hey, if you have a if you have a bad knee, why are you just standing up on the sidelines and not back in the game? Well, uh, sorry, Joe, not everyone wants to be like you and want to be halfway crippled by the time they're your age. How about that? These guys thinking, hey, I have a life to live after this and I don't need to be like like walking around on crooked need all the time. Yeah, Joe. Stay in your lane. Sit down. Like you, you were don't give me, you were good back in the day. I like that mean coat you had uh, during the Super Bowl back in New York several years ago. But chill. Sit down. Know your role. Know your role. And as as I mentioned, Smith will be a free agent because at this point, no one really believes in him. I personally didn't believe I don't believe in him. I didn't when he was drafted. Even even in college when he was in West Virginia, I didn't think he was gonna be good. I did not believe him at all. I said, don't buy the Geno Smith hype. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. I wish I had it on tape somewhere because some of y'all don't believe me. But I said, don't buy it. Don't believe it. And speaking of not believing, 
Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has the nerve to say that it's tough when nobody believes in you. Uh, his quote in part said the biggest thing in this game in order to last is to be- have belief in yourself. He continues, quote, because when the owner stops believing in you and the GM stops believing in you and the coaches stop believing in you, sometimes all you have is yourself. That's something I've had to deal with before. That's something I'm dealing with now. End quote. Oh, he's sad that no one believes in him. Uh, well, uh, somebody needs to tell Ryan that throwing 11 interceptions over six games will cause people not to believe in you. At some point, have you said, hey, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Is there something I'm doing? And the answer is yes, Ryan, there is something that you are doing. In this case, what you're not doing, and that's getting the ball to your guys. Really? I mean, people just don't stop believing you uh, just willy-nilly, they don't just wake up and say, you know what, I don't believe in this guy anymore. Typically, you do something or some things that cause people to not believe in you. All right? Uh, j- just saying. Just saying, Ryan. Look here, you got your contract. I have no idea how or why because people need quarterbacks and you're, you are you used to be like slight, like hovering around average or below average depending on, uh, depending, I guess, on the team that you're playing for. I, I have no idea how you managed to do that. But anyway, uh, he, he gets he's getting now he's getting on my nerves now. Uh, speaking of getting on my nerves, I, he's actually this guy doesn't get on my nerves. Jeff Fisher, the coach of the of the Rams of the now Los Angeles Rams, who who went over to who went all the way across the pond to London to catch an L. I completely ripped Brian Kelly for throwing his center on the, under the bus last week. And we have again, we have another coach who completely honest and don't get me wrong. I admire this honesty because it may well be true. Uh, When he he questioned on whether Jared Goff will play, he'll say he says, no, we don't believe he's ready. And people say, hey, but Case Keenum threw four interceptions. And Jeff Fisher said, for, for whatever reason, that quarterback play did not cost him the game, even though said quarterback threw four interceptions. Um, sorry, Jeff, when you go back those four interceptions, that costs you the game. But wait, there is more. He says at least one of them, it was because the receiver, the receiver in this case, Kenny Britt, broke off the route completely wrong. So he basically blamed one of the, like, say, trying to save his quarterback or his rationale for not playing Jared Goff. He th- completely threw his receiver on the bus, which, yes, maybe, because I, I, I don't know what route Kenny Britt was supposed to be running. So maybe he did break off the route and went the wrong way. But you don't tell everybody that. C- come on, guy. That's something you do in the locker room after the game. I mean, like, don't they teach you that? Don't you? Don't they teach you that in coach speak one on one? That's what you do. And fine. And finally, last last little bit. One of my favorite non Cowboys players is tight end Ron Gronkowski of the Patriots. So, in case you weren't aware, he currently has the Patriots franchise lead in touchdowns. At 68, when asked about his when asked about his franchise leading 68 touchdowns, he said, "Quote, one more, and I got 69 touchdowns. If you know what I mean. Only if you, only you know what I mean, baby. It, that's that that was his response. And to which I say, anyone remember the book Outsiders?" If you came up when I did, or even before, or a little bit after, uh, that was required reading back in middle school. 
uh, I think what, what was it? Uh, Hinton, uh, Hinton was the last name, I, I believe, uh, about these you know these kids. And like one of the last lines in there was "Stay gold, pony boy," right? Like basically, stay like be who you are. Like just really believe and bask in who you are. That's why I like Gronk so much because he is who he is, and that is a meathead frat boy. And I love that personality, especially on a team where you don't really get a lot of personality. So Gronk, man. Stay gold, Gronk. Stay gold. Coming up next, a couple of quick hits, and then I make my college picks. Bring the Pain, this is Cyrus Wayne. Back after this. Welcome back to Bring the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. A couple of quick couple of quick stories for you. Mike Zimmer, coach of the Vikings, had a very interesting way to motivate his team during the bye week. Uh, he took stuffed cats, stuffed animals' cats, uh, apparently slashed their throats and bathed them in fake blood. And yeah, yeah, that sounds kind of creepy. That's a when you think about it, that's a really creepy motivational tool, isn't it? You're gonna really slash the, the throats of stuffed cats. I mean, stuff like like doll cats, not you know, um, what was what, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, of you know, uh, of the taxidermy, not taxidermy cats, but I'm talking about stuffed cats. Anyway, so uh, in the locker room where they saw this site. It had the quote, fat cats get slaughtered. Again, this is supposed to be a motivational tool. You know, get the guys going saying, hey, we're 5-0, and but guess what? We need to keep this We need to keep this train going. You know, we can't get complacent. We can't get complacent. And what happened? They lost to the Eagles. They lost. So it wasn't really that motivational. Perhaps if Meg I believe the quote he was looking for is fat cat, like fat, the pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. I believe he actually, if you use the right quote, it may have worked. Mike Zimmer, dude, if you're going to do something crazy like that, again, at least get the saying right. No no, like no room for foolishness like that, getting it wrong. Come on. Come on. I, I, eyes on the details, son. Eyes on the details. Speaking of eyes on the detail, next quick hit. Uh, Rick Pitino is going to be charged with a level one infraction for his role or lack thereof, depending on who you believe in the recruit and escort scandal at Louisville. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he's getting punished for being caught in one of these, one of these things. I'm pretty sure in my, un, in me not really knowing, just completely speculating mind of this happens more times than you think again, except this program for whatever reason was just sloppy and someone decided to snitch. As I mentioned before, I'm not the one to take moral high rounds on these issues. But anyway, so one thing that's very important about this particular line of uh, charges is he's not being hit with the lack of institutional institutional control thing that a lot of coaches get hit for, which is basically blanket BS of we really can't hit you with this one thing because we really can't prove. But we, what we can say is you didn't have complete control. Y- yeah, so. At least he's not being hit with that. And like, that's a more serious charge. So uh, Patino was cl- claimed he was completely unaware of what was going on. And the NCAA says, hey, we, even though you didn't know, you didn't keep tabs on Andre McGee, which is the former director of basketball operations, the, the guy who allegedly paid all the escorts. And yeah, they're saying, hey, you should just, like, even though you didn't know, you should have kept eyes on this guy. 
that's really all they're that's all they're getting for. That's all they're getting for. They're not saying, hey, you knew about this. You sanctioned it. So we're going to punish you. It's like, no, you didn't watch this guy. So we're going to punish you for not watching this guy, which in the chain of command type of sense, really kind of sort of makes sense. Maybe. I mean, they're not even getting with the whole promoting a culture of noncompliance thing that they seem to get a lot of coaches with. But obviously, Louisville's going and Patino are going to fight this. Will they win? I'm not quite sure. And really, the NCAA just needs to stop. They need to stop. I'm not a big fan of them. Again, they should just go ahead. What, what I said about like football, leave the NCAA. Basketball programs, the big-time programs, leave the NCAA. You, NCAA, you don't need them. Go do your own thing. Make your money. Do whatever you got to do. It's funny how they're coming up on Rick, Rick Pitino on, uh, on some type of recruiting scandal, but it's, yet it's taken them four-plus years to investigate UNC, which everyone had had an idea this is going on, especially at the NCAA level since 2012, and it's taken them still four at least four plus years to even move closely. Now UNC is like now fighting back, and they will have a hearing late this Friday regarding regarding their academic scandal. You know where they t- have the, all those fake classes. Yeah, NCAA. Yeah, good job, good job. And and fine and finally, uh, your your boy Ryan Lion Ryan Lochte, he went to Twitter, or earlier this early like late last week, to wish his dog a happy eighth birthday. Nothing really noteworthy about that, right? Well, he wished this dog a happy eighth birthday for the third straight year, and there are screen caps to prove it, which calls into question of, of one, how old is this dog? Two, can Ryan Lochte count? Or three, I, I, no, that's really about it. That's a, those, are the, those are the only questions. Who knows? But anyway, that's, you know, no one accused Ryan Lochte of being the, the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? But I cannot wait till about seven years or so, like seven, eight, nine years or so, when him and Gronk get a reality TV show. Oh, that would be magic. I'm not even a big fan of reality TV, but guess what? If him and Gronk got together for a show, I would sit down every week and watch it. Can't wait for that. Can't wait. Anyway, college picks coming up next. This is Bringing the Pain. I am Cyrus Wayne. Back after this short break. Welcome back to Bringing the Pain. This is Cyrus Wayne. You can reach me at Twitter and on Instagram at Cy, C-Y underscore T-H-A, great, G-R-E-A-T. Yeah, there's no there's no tricky spelling with the great. It's just Cy underscore the great. Anyway, so college football. I'm just doing picks today. Not a whole lot to recap except the completely disappointing upset that Ohio State had. I'm not an Ohio State fan. I, I just like anarchy in the college football system because I really think they need to move to an eight-game playoff. And like the more chaos that happens up at the top of those rankings, the more likely of that I have hope of them doing that. Understanding full wall, that probably is never going to happen, at least in my lifetime anyway. So I just probably need to get over that. But also, I'm a little bit upset because this is one of the games I decided not to watch because I didn't think it was going to be anywhere remotely close. You know, they put these random ga- these games that look good on paper on primetime because there's a rival- there's a rivalry. Penn State had their whiteout thing going. But you really didn't. Th- I personally didn't think uh, Penn State had any kind of chance. But they ended up blocking kick, running it back, and next thing I know, I'm I'm thinking, man, I probably should have watched that because that was probably exciting to watch. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's one of the probably one of those games that was bad. That was so bad that it, it looked good. We tend to do that quite a bit 
with these close games that come down toward some ridiculous play at the end where just because it's a close game we think it's good we do that with we do that with march madness a lot which come march time i will talk about that a lot because again we are guilty of doing that consistently anyway last week i went a solid three and two of all the teams navy brought me back over the line with their win over memphis um, I definitely whiffed on the Auburn Arkansas pick. I picked Arkansas, Auburn, um, completely ran them over, which I guess is which is personally good for me because I'm not a fan of Brett Bielema for reasons I may or may not get into at some point later on down the road. Not this week. Also, I, I do. I, I got yelled at by the old man. He's he's mad at me because he claims he went. Actually, he didn't claim. I double checked this. He went five and zero on his picks when he was on the show a few weeks ago. So, hey, here's your props. Good job. Yeah, just wait. Just wait till the next time you're on. If I decide to bring you on again, just because you gave me all that crap for not mentioning the fact that you went five and zero. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, Michigan State is going to, I believe, is going to beat Michigan. Uh, I'm sorry, Michigan. I'm picking Michigan over Michigan State this week. Uh, n- no analysis necessary. Michigan is somehow, like, somehow coming. They're they're playing better than they should, be, despite their limitations at quarterback. I can't explain it. Whatever. Uh, anyway, des- despite my soft spot for Florida State, I do not believe they can beat Clemson. So I'm picking Clemson over Florida State. Uh, Washington over Utah. Why am I picking a game out on the West Coast? Because I looked at the schedule. That's one of the only ones that seemed remotely interesting. Auburn has somehow decided to, to resurrect itself. Um, I believe they're going to be Ole Miss. And finally, I don't. I kind of waffled over this for a while, but I somehow believe the Wisconsin Badgers are going to beat the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Cornhuskers. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining me this week. I will be back next week. Once again, you can find me at Cy underscore the great on Twitter and on Instagram. Until next time, later.